Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. You know, it's a very strange thing to think of whenever you're like, when was the first time you met someone? And you have to go back and you have to think about, well, when did I, when was the first time that I met an individual? In our podcast today, we have someone that's from the Northeast Arkansas area, Rebecca White. Uh, I've known her for quite some time, met her at some youth rallies, but my first memory of her was she wore a dr- green dress with a pink shirt underneath it, and I thought she looked like a watermelon. Oh, that's my the, uh, word. The, the Do you want to restart first, this podcast? <laughs> that's the first memory I had. And I think I might have said it, and she like turned and walked away from me. And uh, probably is about to do that again. Oh, my word. But, uh, <laughs> Why would you start the episode like and that? And I'm wearing pink. This is awkward. But you do not look like a watermelon. <laughs> but, uh, Bro, her fiance sitting right down from you. What's up, man? He's hey, laughing. she did, I promise. <laughs> She's laughing. got an old I picture remember. of it. Yes. Is that picture on Facebook? Facebook memories, it'll pop I, up. I don't know. It'll pop up. I but see, this is the danger of whenever Tony's like, "Hey, Brian, you want to lead off the podcast?" Yeah, and we'll I haven't. This out and I time. haven't. <laughs> and I haven't spent time to really think about what I was going to say. And so uh, this is this is where we're at. And so uh, Rebecca, thank you for coming on, oh, even though I offended you right out of the gate. <laughs> but uh, uh, so w- w- what all you got going on? Um, you, you've you've told this. I don't know if you want. Yeah, I don't know you. Tell me about you. Yeah, let, let's oh, find okay. out some of your background. Some some of your background other than. Uh, we're looking like a watermelon. Other than my love for, for colors. Okay, that's great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that, Brian. Um, I'm originally from Manila, Arkansas. So my dad pastors over there in Manila. So I've grown up in Section 5 area with Brian, going to Arkansas Youth Camp, been in church pretty much my entire life, tried to be as involved as I could. I moved around a little bit, went up to Cincinnati, Ohio for a while. Came Which back. church did you go to? Uh, at the time, it was Pastor David Brian. Right now, it's Brother Joe Sizemore. Gotcha. And then I went to, <laughs> sorry, looking looking for my lines over here from Jared. Um, then I went over to Brother James Lumpkin in Little Rock. So I've been there for the last few years. Big learning season in my life. It's been fantastic. And now I just moved to Alabama, and I'm with Brother Davidson. What's it like being a PK? You know, I've had a great experience with it. I know it's different. Even for my siblings, I've had different experience for my siblings, but I loved it. It was every morning waking up to my dad, praying in the living room or hearing him pray at night. And so I grew up with that constant knowing that someone was interceding for other people. So I grew up knowing that your life is for other people and it was for service and it was for ministry. But at times, you know, it was hard because I wanted my dad's attention and I wanted him to be there for me, but he was, he was there for the church. And so at that time I had to make a choice. Am I going to be resentful of this and resentful of the ministry or am I going to see the servitude and celebrate in it? And so I luckily took the route of seeing it and learning from it and enjoying that, that time with him and learning from him. So I really loved it. I really loved it. I know I have a different experience than some people, but I really liked it. Yeah, my experience is almost completely different. You know, I saw the struggles, and I'm sure you have too, right. of, you know, my dad feeling inadequate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when people get up and just leave the church and may be offended, or and it's something that my dad feels like he could have prevented, you know, and yet you still got to... You know, it's kind of weird, but, you know, 
make sure that your dad knows that, you know, I support what you're doing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's difficult when he has to make those difficult decisions, you know, especially for the whole family. And I always remember my dad saying, you know, don't be stupid because what you do affects me, and, you know, because he's a district <laughs> official. Right. And, you know, so I always felt like I had to live a certain lifestyle. And it almost made me... um what's the word not quite rebel but -hmm. i wanted to live a life where i felt like i could do what i wanted but i didn't have that ability but now i look back and i thank god for that you know because my friends who did live like that are no longer in the church or you know they have wild lives or stuff like that you know been in and out of jail and i don't have that story and you know i don't know if you do or not but i mean that's that's something i'm thankful for but I mean, yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, it's something to be said when you've been raised in ministry and then you stay in the church. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, you know, the good parts of it and uh, celebrating it, but there were times where, you know, we gave money of our families to somebody else and then two months later they turn around and leave the church or they mm-hmm. blow up in the church and make a big scene. Yeah. And it, it would be really easy to see that and be like, man, it's not worth it. Yeah. You know, it's not worth it. But, but at the end of the day, like you said, when especially looking back as an adult, you see, how it all kind of worked together. And, you know, for any PK that stays in church, like, I definitely applaud you because it is difficult. It is difficult to see the worst and then still change And, you know, I feel like you can get too close to ministry. Um, You see that that backside that a lot of people don't see, um, and that can be harmful for your future as being, you know, living for God. Uh, we, me and Brian, we both have a friend that got too close to ministry and they were such a new convert. It hurt them and they left the church, you know, it's, and it's weird to say, you know, I, I was too close to ministry and I left, you know, and it's, I'm not talking about people that hurt, hurt you, but it's, you maybe not understand why God does certain things, you know? Um, so Brian, what's your thoughts on that? Do you feel like your life was ever lived under a microscope? So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. How did you handle that? You know, there were times that I was accused of things that I didn't even do. So I remember uh, one day coming out from Sunday school, just a kid kind of skipping and playing, and a woman grabbing my head to see if I cut my hair because she had <laughs> swore that I had cut my hair. And then, you know, oh, my mom gosh. went and, and scooped me up. And so I was like, oh, my goodness. And I was like, I don't, I, you know, I was a kid, so I didn't have an answer and I couldn't defend myself. And thankfully, you know, my parents were there and I didn't have to. I didn't have to defend myself. But so it was whether I lived perfectly right or or not, people were still going to accuse me of things or my family of things just to either justify what they were doing or they were feeling. So it was really it was really difficult. And once again, it was one of those things you, you choose to either just embrace it or rebel and resent it. So it was it was an experience, but you know, as an adult, even like my job, I'm under a microscope at work. They come what in do you and do? they check. I'm a teacher, so right now I'm teaching kindergarten. So I've taught it several. Oh gosh, <laughs> it's, at 2020 kindergarten's different. Uh, this is a whole different beast. But it's the same. They come in. Your brother in and was look. my English teacher, by the way. He was. Yes, David you're absolutely was. right. Yes, at Valley View. Mm-hmm. Eleventh uh, grade, he was my English teacher. He's a better. He's a better teacher than I am. I'll say that he's great. He's he was great. a pretty cool teacher, I'll be honest with you. Actually, he was actually our swim coach there for a little while, and I was on the swim team because I didn't want to. I know. I know. Uh, you I was like, I'm a little shocked. I didn't yes. know that. that yes, the fact that Brian was. was on a swim team or your brother was the coach? Both. These yes. are, these yeah. are both Brian shocking. swims like a fish. No, I don't. I swim like a rock. Brian swims like a fish. I had a swim pool at my house one time, and this dude come out in full gear once. 
Brian, don't say you did. That's pretty funny. No, I was. No, I I legitimately was horrible. (laughs) I I did it. I did it just because I wanted to be able to go home early because, like, you guys got they got to leave the school and go to the dream gym and swim. Don't let them. I was no, honest, god awful, (laughs) god awful. I promise. But uh, but no, uh, David was an awesome teacher. he was, and he got, um, he's gotten several awards for, for teaching, and now his business has taken off. He's fantastic. All of his students he's love him. He's way better teacher, mm-hmm. like, passionate, very smart. Actually, he told a story one time about how uh, he, like, for, like, a semester test, he made, it was an a essay, and he told the students, you, it's kind of like an open uh, thing where you can write literally about anything you want. As long as you get something, you know, you're pretty much going to pass, and, uh one of the students assumed he wouldn't read it, and the the student wrote a wrote an essay about how much they hated him. I think, uh, and he said that was the only one that failed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know how awesome. much that that story I, that I'm telling is Speaking accurate, of but it sounds very familiar. You got something going on right now. Yes. Be shameless and plug it. What okay, I am right really really excited. I okay. First of all, first okay. of all, before you get into this. Brian never told me about the Instagram message. I'm not an Instagrammer. Mm-hmm. And so I have no idea that you messaged us talking about uh, uh, reading your book, mm-hmm. your ebook. That's a spoiler alert for everybody. That's what she's about to talk about. Yes. Brian didn't share that information with me. So how did you know about it to ask? Because you literally told me in the car a while ago. I said, oh, read me oh, that I conversation. So this was what? How long ago? Like three or four hours ago. Yeah, see, he's lying. hot off the press. Yeah, but anyway, tell us about what you got going on there. (laughs) Okay, I'm really, really excited. This is a project that actually started about two years ago. So one night I was lying in bed, and I was thinking about – so I'm going to tell you the history, and that goes into the whole basis of the book. I was lying in bed thinking about how I was going through this – transitional phase of trying to figure out who I was because growing up as a pastor's kid the moment I was born I was told who I was and I was under that Mm -hmm. microscope and the standards were set for me of everything in my life so I went through a season where I was just tired I'd been in ministry for 26 years and I was just tired and needed a mental sabbatical so I took a year off from doing any ministry and during that time I really figured out my identity and who I was So I was in bed one night, and all these thoughts started coming to me about who I am and how I am not my ministry, how I am my own identity in God. And so I got up, and I wrote probably three or four hours, and then the next day I was exhausted, so I called into work and then finished writing probably eight hours that day into the next day. So I started at that point. That was about two years ago. Kind of left the book. I almost said put it on the shelf, but put it in the Google Drive. And then I came back to it a few weeks ago and just had kind of the completion of everything from that point up until this point and put it all together. And I was going to wait and publish it later on because we're getting married in December. And I was like, it's going to be absolutely crazy trying to publish a book two months before we get married while planning a wedding but I kind of like the drama and the craziness so I wanted to go ahead and put it out this year and then looking back that was one of my goals for 2020 it was one of those things that you get to the halfway through the year and you're like "Mm, you know what we'll put that on the 2021 goal list so it's something that I was able to kind of get together and then I'm going to release it this month on October 26th hopefully if everything goes through smoothly because that's my parents um, 32nd year pastoring at Manila so I'm releasing it this month in honor of that. Awesome. So this is where our conversation starts getting deep because you just made the statement that um, you have your own identity and it's not just ministry. 
And that is something that uh, I really feel like um, Christians and especially folks that are involved in ministry, they have completely ignored that fact that they have forgotten that they have a life outside of church. Mm -hmm. And once again, that's kind of hard for me to say because we always talk about, you know, I want to devote my time to God and my life to God and all this stuff. But we recently, about a year ago maybe, we lost an evangelist's wife that committed suicide because, you know, she was, I could only imagine how she was feeling. You know, she feels like there's no exit. She feels like, you know, she's entrapped in ministry and entrapped in um, this one one way. There's no exit. We're on a straight, you know, how I, how I picture it is, you know, they always tell you if you're going through the desert in Phoenix or in Arizona that, you know, this is the last gas station for 170 <laughs> some odd miles. And you're, you, there's nowhere to turn. There's nowhere to go that if you're not refreshed or you're not refueled, you've got this long way to go. And you need to you need to take time and refuel and recharge your soul and your spirit. And you know I feel like that we we are a different church, and we don't have to be you know the church that we you know like you just no, said no, was absolutely. told to be. You know I remember like you were saying uh, just a while ago. You know we were we were taught um, as as preachers' kids, you know, this is your identity. This is who you are. And it wasn't until I was twenty years old till I figured out why. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't ask questions. You know, so I mean, so you have no ability to make a mistake. You have no exactly, ability to exactly. show weakness. You have no ability to seek for help because you're supposed to give the answer. And, and that's that's why we do this podcast, Brian, is because we're here to break myths. And we upset people all the time, and we right. don't care. If you right. don't like this, this these conversations, there. I let me direct you to another apostolic podcast. That's all it's going to do is lift you up and help you build ministry and leadership. That's not what we do. Mm-hmm. We're here to uncover the topics that people are hurting from that they don't know how to talk about. Absolutely. And so, uh, kind of talk about what what encouraged you to write this book on a deeper level. I know you said you know you were you were struggling with it, but. What? How did God give you the the burden? And tell us about the, the almost like the struggle that you were trying to get into to write it. Absolutely. So I um, in 2015 I was in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I was music director up there. So along everything was going great, trek along, trek along, and then the next year in 2016 I just went through a series of really bad events. So several really bad things happened in my life, and I needed just kind of like a reset. And I prayed and I was like, God, I just need you to hit the reset button. I just need to completely start over. And I prayed this prayer. I said, will you just give me some time off from ministry? I just want to go somewhere where nobody knows me. And I just need, like I said, a sabbatical, just a few months. And I was like, God, it's like, who gets that prayer? You know, everybody's <laughs> yeah. like, can I just have like four months where I'm not working? But the Lord did answer that prayer. And so my sister calls me and invites me to come stay with them for a little bit in Arkansas. So whenever I'm there, it's the first time in my life that I don't have a ministry position. So I'm not a music director. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I'm not a youth leader. I'm not the pastor's kid. And it I'm feels not amazing, on. doesn't it? It did for about two weeks. Oh, really? It did for about two <laughs> weeks. And I was like, oh, this is great. I just felt the weight of the world off my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And then I started struggling because I felt awkward. I wasn't doing anything. And in mm-hmm. my mind, it's an you exchange. Felt yes. Mm-hmm. I was like, how can God love me? How can I be pleasing to him when I'm not at the church 20 
24-7 serving Him. And it was during that time I had conversations with people, and I'd meet new people, and they would say, well, what do you do in church? I'm like, oh, I just, I just go. They're like, oh, okay, well, what do you, do you play and sing? I'm like, yeah, but I'm not right now. Like, the conversations were just awkward, because when I wasn't doing anything, I didn't feel like I had an identity. And so it was, it was a lot of guilt. And so I was praying, I was like, God, you have to still love me. Like, just because I'm not playing the piano and singing right now or teaching Sunday school class, you've got to still love me. And it was then that I realized, I'm like, I don't know who I am. I think that I'm a servant of God, when in reality, I'm a child of God. And I posted this the other day, but we were created before we were commissioned. So sometimes we get so wrapped up in the mission and the commission and the ministry and the work that we forget that first you're supposed to be a child of God. And if you don't have that part right, you're going to be using ministry and work to validate you and to feel loved and approved by God whenever that's not what his plan is. Yeah. I mean, you got it right when you said child of God because um, your old pastor, the Lumpkins, um, they have the greatest stories ever, um, and they're very open about their son and their son's struggles um, with addictions. And, you know, Sister Lumpkin said, I believe it was on record, if not, it was to Brian and I, she said, no matter what he does, I'll always love him. It don't matter. Mm-hmm. It does not matter if he struggles, if he fails, if he succeeds. It doesn't matter. I'll always love him. And that's that's the mentality we have to have with God that, you know, that doesn't give us a free ticket to go out and do what we want. Right. But uh, but it does give us a free ticket to be redeemed. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's that's something that people don't really even consider. I mean, they think that failure is the final option, you know, um, when there's nowhere left to turn, you know, all right, I'm going to accept failure and that's it. I'm done. And, you know, just like you, whenever I moved here, I was so thankful to just be able to sit down for a while and not do anything. And then, like you said, I started to feel guilty and I felt like I had to give of my time because that's all I've ever Mm -hmm. known is, is just give and go and give and go. And, you know, and you feel lazy or like you're not doing enough. Mm. And part of it is like the generation that raised us. It's the same. They have a very good work ethic to the point of a lot of times they don't know how to rest. So in my mind, I was taught that a day of rest was a day that you were being lazy. So like on Saturday morning, we would wake up and we would work all day. And then Sunday after church, we would go and we would work. And so since that work ethic is, that's amazing and super strong, but that's not how God designed us to be. You know, like he rested on the seventh day. And you look in the Bible, like he provided time for his ministry to rest and refuel. And he gave them places to rest and he gave them food and he gave them drink. So it's something to be said of us. Like we shouldn't think so highly of ourselves that we're above rest. Mm. And we also have to find that balance of like, yes, I, I need rest, but not getting settled in that where you can't get back moving and grooving and getting into ministry like you should be. So I think it's definitely a balance. I know some people get kind of taboo where they're like, well, no, you don't want to rest too long. You don't want to stop too long. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there's definitely a balance to keep it healthy. Right. Like the whole time that I was growing up, sorry, Brian, you were about to say something. Um, The whole time I was growing up, like we worked at the church on Saturdays. We were at church all day Sunday. And, you know, my grandma was the church secretary for like 50 years and a Sunday school teacher for like 30 years. And I remember her making the statement that this this will just tell you the difference in generations and how I think I'm going to use a a word for Brad, but how this generation is more woke 
than the previous mm-hmm. generation is because um, I remember my grandma saying to me just recently, she's like, I've, I've never known what it was like to slow down. She's like, I just want to keep going, but my age won't let me. My ability won't let me. And, you know, I just want to say, Grandma, you've put in your time. You've put in your <laughs> effort, you know. And I think this generation is starting to talk about those things, you know. Maybe, and Court Chavis is a huge proprietor of that, you know. Um, we do need to be more aware of our mental health. We do need to be more aware of, um, you know, being weary and weak and what's going on around us. And we don't need to be afraid to talk about these things. Right. And like I said a while ago, we're here to talk about them. I mean, you, I don't know. It's, it's just something that uh, I think that the generation before us really could have used. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I was watching the general conference online, and um, I remember Jerry Jones making a statement that whenever this certain guy was in leadership, that the the um, organization, the United Pentecostal Church organization, began to crumble from within because we were so focused on growing it on the outside, mm-hmm. we fell apart on the inside. Right. You know, that really resonated with me that I want to make sure that I'm good so yeah. those around me can be better. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. No, it is a big thing in the mental health. And also kind of going back to what I said about the um, using, using ministry and using things like that to feel... Uh, validated to feel approval if we make sure that our goal is on the inside and it's to be approved approved by God and that we're for God we're created to worship him and we get those things right mm-hmm. then everything else that you do is it's from a better place too because you guys know those people that you see work in the church and they're mad about it like I'm up here every Saturday vacuuming yeah, my feet hurt. And nobody else wants to <laughs> vacuum you get bitter and resentful toward it mm-hmm. so if you make sure that it's from a heart of love and service and not obligation. You're not doing this so God loves you. You're doing this because God loves you. So if you if you change your mindset, it kind of changes it changes the work. <laughs> Why do you think people's mindset gets so messed up? I think a lot of it is, um, you know, like I said, one the generation and two for our generation especially. I think it's comparison. You know, not only like social media, but we we compare ourselves a lot. And I'm really hard on myself because I compare me against me. So whether it's you comparing yourself to your own standard or other people, there's the way God designed us. And then there's the influence from society. And then there's the influence from pressure to be like our peers. So it turns our thinking. It makes us kind of the double-minded type thing where we're trying to follow God, but we're also trying to follow trends and follow people and have the job that we should have at our age and make the amount of money that we should have. Mm-hmm. Um, Brother Gaddy, I saw him make this diagram one time, and he had a straight line, and it said God. And then he drew a line that went up above it, and it said um, society. And then church followed the line of society instead of following the line of God. And so he said, as a church and as a people, we tend to follow society, and we should be following God. So our mindset goes that of with, with the things that we're seeing in the news and seeing with people around us, and it should be following after the trend of the Bible and things that we've been taught. Mm-hmm. I want to shift gears a little bit here. Uh, something that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, did Do you or did you seek approval for others growing up as a Christian young lady? Was that something that you really f- strived for? Like with my peers? Oh, yeah, for from, from anybody. Like is that something you struggle with was – 
me wearing this, Brian's thinking you're looking like a watermelon. <laughs> but like the stuff you <laughs> Obviously, would wear. Obviously, I didn't have approval from my peers. <laughs> <laughs> but the things that you wore or the way you acted, is that did you direct that seeking approval from others? Uh, I don't. I think at times I did. I think at times I definitely did, and. I think I overcompensated. I tried to overcompensate with my personality. So I didn't want people to think that, like, I was a prude because I dress modest. So I tried to be outgoing and talkative to people so they wouldn't think I was weird. Yeah. <laughs> so I, mean, I did I did seek The first approval. thing I thought was you were kind of funny whenever oh, you were outside. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so I didn't do things, like, to change my appearance to, you know, to get their approval, but I did try to show them with my personality, like to make them to make them like me, because I wanted to be the the cool Pentecostal weird girl at school, not just the weird Pentecostal the girl. girl. <laughs> the the reason I ask that is because uh, I know that uh, people, at least whenever I was in high school, and even some in um, you know right after high school, I won't say college, but um, but we always as Christians. Um, since we had to, I'm going to put had to in air quotes, follow standards, mm-hmm. we had to seek approval from others by the way we dressed or the way that we were outgoing. And I, I feel like that is something that um, our current generation is currently struggling with is a self-identity crisis. Uh, you want to speak to, on that a little bit? Absolutely. And once again, I think that does go back to they have more access to to everybody so like when I was growing up I compared myself to people that were actually like in my school and now you know with Instagram people that are 13 14 can compare themselves to every 13 14 year old in the world you know so it's a lot it's a lot more pressure and also you know the stand the standards are just different now A, a lot more things are acceptable so they have a lot more to compare each other to so I think it goes back to, once again, like figuring out who you are, finding your identity in Christ and figuring out, you know, whenever I was uh, going to youth camp and everything, it was constantly like, what what were you called to? You know, five kids were called to be preachers and two kids were called to be missionaries. And so if you felt like you didn't have that, you felt, you know, exactly. I got to make something up here. <laughs> exactly. You're like, Sunday school teacher? Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. So, you know, you felt like you constantly had to... Uh, to get that calling to feel like you really made it at youth camp. So I don't want young people to now feel like that's their identity is, is in their calling. I like going back to the book, figuring out who you are and not necessarily what you're going to do. And another thing that kind of helps um, with that is knowing that your identity isn't just in your talents. I struggle with this a lot because I'm one of those people, I'm not fantastic at any one thing. I'm good at like a bunch of little random things. I can kind of sing, kind of play the piano, kind of do administration. And then I see people, um, you know, like Jared, who's fantastic at playing the drums and everybody knows him for this one thing and so I look at him like oh wow I would love to be that person with that one thing but that was never me so whenever I was at youth camp and somebody else was a great speaker or got a great calling or was a fantastic singer I always felt left behind because I thought well what's my identity I'm not a fantastic singer and I'm not a fantastic whatever but going back to finding 
that sometimes it's not just the one talent that you have. It can be the combination of all the little talents that you have or all the things that God put in you. But if you're always looking for other people and looking at them, comparing yourself to them, you're never going to feel like you measure up and you're never going to feel like God can use you when the truth is he's given you everything that you need. Everything that you need to fulfill who you are and what you're going to do, he's already given you. And it's our job to discover what that is and what that really means. So when you write this book, who would you say is your intended audience? That's a really good question. I want to say young people because that's the, I, I want to say the easiest, the easiest target because you can start now and then build up who you are. But the truth is, I think it is for people in their 20s and 30s who are so knee deep into ministry that they already have their identity settled. Before you have to learn the lesson where you crumble because you're doing too much or you lose everything to figure out who you are. I think it's for those people that you know, you're working in ministry and you feel like, man, I'm doing so much, but I never have that feeling of being fulfilled. I think that's the point that you need to stop and reevaluate. Like, who am I? Am I my ministry or am I a child of God? Going back to what I said earlier, like you're a child of God before you are a servant. And that's the biggest, one of the most important things that we can learn. Even seeing my dad who's pastored for 32 years, him and I talk all the time. And sometimes he's got to just stop and say, you know, why am I doing all this? Who is all of this for? What is all of this for? When you answer those questions, it slows your mind down and gives you that rest that we were talking about, that you're not spinning and doing ministry and running and running. You can just stop and rest and I am a child of God. If a person never gets that understanding, do you think they can have a fulfilled life? I think that they're always going to be striving for something else. So I don't want to say they can't. I'm, I'm a never say never type of person, but I think that they'll constantly be spreading themselves thin because they're going to be working in one area and it's not going to be enough. So they're going to pull in another area and be working in that area and it's not going to feel like enough. So I, I'm not saying they can't ever feel fulfilled, but they're going to be really, really busy seeking after something that they slowed down and focused in on who they were, that they could get there a lot easier. How frustrating is it living with the mindset of I am a singer or I am a, how frustrating is that? You know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm not a, uh, I don't have any great one talent, so nobody knows me for any one thing. So I don't have a lot of that pressure, but one of the things I have done for a long time is a music director. So I was a music director for probably the last 14 years, and there was always the the pressure of thinking I have to come out and perform and do perfect every single service, especially when I was in Cincinnati. It was kind of higher stakes because I was getting paid for that. So it was a job. It was a ministry, but it was also you perform and you do good and, you know, they, they keep me on staff. So it was a lot of pressure to be perfect. And with that, sometimes I would get sucked into being perfect for people and not doing my ministry for God. And I think that's with everything. Sometimes we get afraid of people or what people think of our ministry or what pastor things of our ministry that we do things differently whereas if we change the mindset of I'm doing this for God and to reach people I think that we would operate a little bit differently for me it was almost kind of backwards because I was put into a role that was needed I was the drummer just like your boy down there (laughs) but uh I uh I said you know what I'm gonna be great at this I'm gonna do the best that I can 
I remember saying that to myself when I was seven. You're always constantly working on that craft. Right. And, you know, I did feel like I got rewarded for that, you know, by playing conventions and camps and stuff like that. But uh, um, I always felt like I was always trying to please the music director or the person who invited me to play at the camp meeting. And, you know, by, you know, just being the best that I could. And I felt like I lost my passion to please God because it was more of importance of who's over there playing them drums that sounds so good you know that's what I strived for right you know and I feel like that's something that people you know struggle with is we're doing things in air quotes for the kingdom but it's for self-gratification absolutely and you know I've been on this kick like you guys know how you get on like a little kick or a little shoe uh, soapbox I'm set a shoebox <laughs> I don't know who's standing on shoeboxes, but I've been on this kick lately praying for miracles and signs and wonders. And so I was praying the other morning and I was like, man, God, why aren't we seeing it in the church? Why aren't we seeing it in the church? And he directed me to think about in the scripture, where were miracles done in the scripture? And I looked and there were, there was the, the miracle of the man with the withered hand. And then there were a few other things that happened around. But if you look at Jesus's ministry, all the most of the miraculous things happen outside the church. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to the Billy Cole concept of if you want to be where the Spirit of God is, go where the Spirit of God is. So for me, going back to this whole premise of this book, is I have been in ministry and in the church and working in the church and all these things and trying to please people and not knowing who I was. But if you step back and you look at the life of Jesus, he was always out and he was always amongst the people and that's where the teaching took place that's where miracles took place that's where ministry really is and that's where it's really done and I feel like people in ministry we get so focused like you said wanting to do the best like I'm going to do this and I'm going to please the music director and I'm going to please the pastor that we actually get locked in to like you said not being in for the kingdom but doing it for the building and for the people whenever ministry was never designed to be in the building Mm -hmm. i mean even in the book of acts they were house to house so you look at jesus and the disciples the apostles they were never the mainstream church so every time the mainstream church was mentioned it was like all the pharisees and then jesus went in he flipped up the flipped over the tables because stuff's happening that's not supposed to happen it was never a really positive experience. They were always outside amongst the people. And so that's one of my goals is the next, like this next season of life. And I've just started going to a new church. And so this is a new opportunity for me to change my mindset of ministry. If it's not in the building, ministry is where the people are. Cause we focus so much on, we want to get the people in. what outreach can we do to get the people in whenever, honestly, we could, we could go out to them. We can go where the people are and find a way to minister just like Jesus did. Brian, are we releasing this before or after the guy we recorded earlier? You to you. The reason I say that is if, if George hurts before this, go listen to that episode. If it's after this, we made the statement in his episode that's not released yet that was he was telling the story of he was actually in prison and he felt like as soon as he got in prison, God gave him spiritual giftings, which is kind of that's weird, crazy. you know. I know that's a it's a great story to listen to, but he feels like God he got the Holy Ghost when he went and went to prison. It's like it's just before. Was it just before? I thought yep. it was just after. But either way. But as soon as he got to prison, he felt like God gave him spiritual giftings. And um, well, he didn't feel like it. I mean, that was pretty blatant. He told a crazy story. Again, if you haven't heard it, this is a teaser for next week. If you haven't heard it, go back. Go back. Exactly. Yeah. But he was telling a story about how um, 
this guy had fallen and had tore or pulled his ACL or one of the two. And um, he felt like God was kind of pushing him to to go pray for the guy. He was like, there ain't no way that I, I in front of these other inmates is going to be that guy, you know. But he goes over to him and lays his hand on his leg and just quietly under his breath says, in Jesus' name be healed. He said the guy had blacked out because of the pain. Like he pulled two and he's like, the pain's gone. He stood up and started jumping and running. You know, he's like, all of a sudden this guy was healed. And he's like, so this is a real thing that God's given me. He said, I didn't heal that guy, obviously, but God gave me that spiritual gifting. And so that got me to thinking, you know, it doesn't take the four walls of a church to make things happen like that and we are the church and we don't realize that we think that only stuff like that can happen in the church right you're smiling pretty big right there no because i like it really being my season in little rock was a really different season of life for me because i got out of my comfort zone so growing up um, and I, I don't know who your, your listenership is, so I'm, I'm going to try to say this really nice kind of way. But growing up, I was under the impression of people who weren't in the church were choosing to be sinners. Not that they were the lost. I thought that they were they were sinners. I'm like, they just don't want to come to church because they don't want to wear skirts or not because they don't want the restrictions. And so I thought that they were like not bad people, but I thought they were just choosing to not be in church. And <laughs> I, I don't know where I got the mindset, but somewhere along the way, that's where I got the mindset. So I would talk to, I used to talk to people outside the church and I would see them, you know, looking worldly and I'd be like, mm, they'd be talking about God. And I could, almost had deaf ears listening to them talk about God because I was so judgmental because I thought, man, how like you're talking about God, but you're, you know, you don't look like you, you're a person that talks to God. So the, through whatever events the Lord has allowed me this last few years in Little Rock to start seeing people with eyes of love. And so now I talk to people and I see them that they really, truly love God. Some of the best conversations the last few months I've had about God has been with people from other religions. And I see that these people are really hungry. Mm -hmm. They're truly hungry. So people that look completely, I mean, not any type of apostolic or Pentecostal have talked about God. And I see okay, you really love God, and this is a stepping stone, and the Lord's opened the door now for me to talk to you and and be able to shed a little more light of who He is. So whenever I joined CrossFit, at there first, it is. It was, <laughs> you knew it was coming. I was waiting to slip it in. Whenever I joined CrossFit, I felt really weird because, you know, I don't want to be the weird girl in the gym in the skirt, but, but that's how it was. And the Lord opened so many doors there for me to talk to people. So I want to say, if you ask me, like, what's your greatest ministry moment? I want to say, oh, man, that time that I sang at that conference and everybody was praying or when I spoke in India and it was fantastic. But some of the greatest moments of ministry that I've had have been in the back corner of the gym, somebody coming to me crying about how the Lord woke them up with a dream and they were speaking in another language and they didn't know what that meant. Or somebody pulling me aside in the parking lot and saying, hey, look, my marriage is falling apart and I know that you're a Christian. Help, can you pray for me right now? I've gotten Bible studies from there. The most valuable moments of ministry that I've had have been outside of the church, have been in the gym, in the parking lot, at coffee shops. And so that's been a new season of life for me and looking at people through eyes of love and not being so judgmental. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happens uh, 
very frequently. I mean, it's it's easy to to point us out in a crowd many times. Um, I know Melissa and I we've we've left church before and gone to eat at restaurants, and they knew immediately based on the way that we were dressed that we came from church. There was a witness there, and so yeah, I mean, I've I've had opportunities to preach, and and like you said, I mean, you could say, well, those were some of the greatest moments. But but to me, the greatest moments in my life have been like you said, it's been the one on one. Like uh, right now, I'm I'm teaching Bible studies every Tuesday night with an individual, and and. And I, that I enjoy more than I've ever enjoyed preaching in front of our pulpit. And, and so the, th- the fact is, is you don't get to that point unless you have presented yourself in a way that someone is open to hear what you have to say to give you that door of open. It's just like George Hurt said earlier. Last time I'm going to talk about him, but he said, I didn't realize I had a ministry until I stopped seeking speaking engagement and started looking for the sinners. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that really got me to thinking, what is ministry really all about? Is it about sitting behind a microphone talking like we are right now? Well, or- it goes to the point of her book. If your mindset is that I'm just a pulpit preacher, exactly. yeah. then and that, and my mindset is not that I'm a servant of God. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but to the, my whole point about frustration, if, if your mindset is I'm the pulpit preacher, when someone else is the pulpit preacher that service, you're frustrated because why it's is not it not you. me? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that my whole identity is wrapped up in I have to be the pulpit preacher, and God forbid they preach better than you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because then it's real bad. Mm-hmm. Mm. And and I know from experience because that's my mindset several uh, that I've had as well. And so it's a it's a real thing. If your mindset of who you are is summed up in, I'm the church drummer. Yeah, or, or what? I'm the what preacher. you fill in the blank? Yeah, you fill in the blank. What are you doing exactly? Yeah, yeah. You've got to find out who you really and are. And like you said, God forbid they're doing better than you. And then all of a sudden, it's Division. it's really it's really not for the kingdom, and it's you causing quit. a wedge. You backslide exactly. Yeah, get, get ministry hurt. This is getting right. on a deep subject. <laughs> One of the things I I said I, I said at the beginning of my book is instead of seeking opportunities for what you do, if you are the person who you're supposed to be, then opportunities will come to you. So if you work on you and you do the things that you need to do and you find out who you are, opportunities are going to come to you just because of that, whether it's behind the pulpit or whether it's in the community. And honestly, my favorite ministers are the ones that have like the really good stories. And those stories are, you know, like I was in the gas station and somebody came up to me and it was those little moments of ministry that that moment of ministry, I love getting to hear about it, but those are the things that mm-hmm. I want to. I want to seek after those Jesus moments of in the crowd of he was walking and then there was a woman at the well. There was a man in the tree. It's those little moments. And we also have to be aware of that. And like you said, no matter where you are, you have to be kind of on. Like as Christians, we kind of have to be like our mental status on at all times where you're seeking ministry in the community. When you go to the grocery store, whenever you're at the gym, you have your spiritual self in tune that you know, okay, at any moment, there's somebody in here, there's a divine appointment. There's a mom somewhere that's praying for their backslidden kid and they're in this store and I'm sent here today to minister to them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, there's, there was two words given in a small group that I was a part of before coronavirus stopped all that. But I'll never forget this guy that was that was teaching our small group. He always said, "You need to live intentional, live intentional, or live on purpose." And you know that got me to thinking, "What am I outside the church 
to our listeners, what are you doing outside of Sundays and Wednesdays? Or even for now, Brian, us, we're, we just go to church on Sundays. We've got, we give God one hour of our week, hour and a half sometimes of our week. What do you can't tell me that you if if you're only living for God on that one hour of the week because of the world right now? Um, that's that's what we have. So what are you doing the rest of those hours to live on purpose to live intentionally? I mean, you are seriously sent to be the light in someone's darkness, and you know I struggle with that. I was talking to a lady um, Friday afternoon. Um, you know, Brian and I was supposed to be in Nashville at a conference, and uh, due to some circumstances at his work, we were unable to attend. And, you know, I called her and I, you know, kind of told her, you know, and it kind of made me feel guilty, you know, but uh, she she understood because anytime that you're doing something for God, it feels, it seems like the enemy's going to attack you. And that shouldn't be a fear of yours, so you don't do anything for God. And I I feel like sometimes I'm in in in, in a, a quiet what would the word be inadequate. inadequate there it is I couldn't say it <laughs> but I feel like I'm inadequate because I don't have the right things to say or I might not be doing it the right way but do it I mean God has placed you for that mom that that grocery store you were just talking about for a reason I mean don't right. don't feel like you're you're not you shouldn't be available to that. Absolutely. There's a chapter in the book called Faulty with a Side of Failure. And I said the first thing you have to realize about who you are is you are fault. You are failure. Like it's in every one of us. None Mm -hmm. of us are perfect. And so what the devil wants to do is give you that mindset of my faults and failures block out my talents and abilities. They block out my purpose. And it's it's not a case of one or the other. Both can be true. You can be talented and have faults. You can have abilities and be a failure, but you can't let that add up to the equation of that you don't ever actually execute what you're supposed to do. Like, I think part of it is powerful to be like, you know what, I do have faults and I'm going to work on those things and I'm going to make them stronger. And like you said, what are you doing every other day or every other hour of the day? If you start your day with the mindset, I know every morning we pray, like, Lord, put somebody in our path today that we can be a witness for you. And there's mm-hmm. several days that we'll call each other and we'll be like, man, I got to pray with so-and-so today. I got to, Because we start our day with that intention of, I know I'm not perfect, but I know who I am, and I know who created me, and that outshines everything else. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a failure or a faulty. You have the knowledge to help somebody. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. If you've fallen 700 times, you still have the knowledge and the ability because you know who is able to help that person. So it kind of takes away all of our excuses. Mm-hmm. You're enough. Absolutely. Right. You know, Brian, Brother Harkin preached a sermon at our church a few weeks ago that really um, convicted me because I've been in church my entire life. I've never had a season of my life where I didn't go to church because I didn't feel like it or I didn't want to. Um, now, granted, there's been times where I went to church and I didn't want to, but uh, he he was talking about prayer. You were just talking about prayer a little bit. I want to touch on that just real quick. But um, he, was, he was talking about how... Um, everyday Christians that are faithful to God have zero prayer time and have zero conversations with God throughout the day. And, you know, that kind of convicted me because I don't sit down at night and give, like, God this, like, 30-minute prayer. And, you know, I felt guilty. And, you know, 
as soon as I started thinking that he he made the statement, it doesn't have to be some thirty minute prayer, um, but give God just some of your time. So mm-hmm. I set this alarm on my phone for every morning at seven thirty, just as a reminder to give God some attention today. Yeah. And you know, as much time as we give to um, just time wasting media, I mean, the amount of hours that we look at our phone at social media. I mean, my phone gives me a screen update for the week. Ugh, on that Sunday depresses morning. me. It, and you know, I get on Sunday morning too. Yep. So here's the thing: <laughs> I seriously think that now y'all can make fun of me all you want, but I have seriously thought the reason it comes out on Sunday is that God saying, "Look how much time you've given to your phone this week. How much time Whoa. have you given to me?" You know, it depresses me. You know, it says mm-hmm. your your screen time is down forty one percent. You're only at fourteen hours this week. Fourteen hours of looking <laughs> at my phone. You know, I want to be more intentional on giving God that. It doesn't have to be quantity, but it has to be quality. Absolutely, and I think the biggest fault of of prayer and personal devotion is execution. You know, I have done this. I have read chapters and chapters of a book on prayer. And then went to bed that night and not <laughs> prayed or, you know, read a book or on how fasting to... and then while you're eating a burger. Exactly. <laughs> like I've done so many studies and studies on prayer that it's like that. If you'll just pray for five minutes, you'll get a whole lot more done than reading two or three books on prayer. So the biggest problem is execution, mm-hmm. just actually doing it. And like you said, start small, mm-hmm. start small, start somewhere and then and then build up from that. Yeah, we make it harder than it needs to be sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Way harder than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. What's your book entitled? The title is called The Who, Finding the Who Before the What. Pretty interesting. About how many chapters are you, do you have or are going to have? I'm going to have seven. Seven. And then also I have um, some contributors, different young people uh, in our age group, probably, probably between 18 and 30. I have, um, or, you know, between 18 and 31 to expand our age group here in the room <laughs> but we I'm have not 31 well I'm, i was giving you a little bit of lead way that way next year when you re-listen to this you'll still be included i hate being the <laughs> oldest person in the room oh my gosh what are you laughing at <laughs> oh i hate no, that i have feeling. um people that have given me quotes so i Tell them the content of the book. And I said, I want you to think how this speaks to you. What does it mean to you to find who you are in God? And so I have several friends um, that have given me things. that I'm going to include those in the book, too, because I also don't want it just be my voice. I love getting things from other people. I know I definitely do not have all the answers. And so some of the quotes that they have sent me have inspired me to add things throughout the chapters because I'm like, you know what? They're right, and I didn't really speak on that, so let me go back and add this in. So that's something I'm really excited about, too, having other people involved in contributing in the book. When you're when you were writing, when when you're putting it uh, pen to paper, finger to keyboard, and you're typing, what is something that you've typed out that whenever you type, was there anything that you typed up that you had to set back and go, wow. Like I, like I don't know where that came from, but that's that's good that, stuff. That's more than just my <laughs> thoughts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There, there were several of those moments. Um, I was proofreading some of it yesterday, 
And I thought some of that I took out and I'm like, man, that was you. That was not God. Like take that out. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to read that. But definitely the part about having the goal being internal instead of external, having the goal of pleasing God instead of pleasing people, because I had to really reflect because when you hear stuff like that, you automatically would be like, that's not me. You know, like that, that's somebody else. But there was a lot of moments that I wrote things in the book that I wished that I had already completed, but I hadn't. So I'm writing this as this is my process and I'm trying to meet the standard. So I haven't done it yet, but I am constantly in the process of trying to do it. As you're writing, how does God speak to you? You know, my mind, um, I see things in pictures. I'm really visual. So a lot of times I'm seeing it, seeing things happen in my mind or seeing circumstances happen. And as I'm seeing it or hearing myself talk in my head, then I'm typing it out. And a lot of times it is in like conversation. It's as like I hear it from the Lord because it's directed toward me. That's how I'm typing it out. So I'll say things like, for you to realize who you are, you have to stop comparing yourself to other people. That's not me talking to my readers. That's God talking to me. So that's how when you read the book, there's a lot of like me saying, you know, you need to do this and you need to do that. That's how the Lord told me. And so that's how I, I typed it in the book. You want to um, October twenty seventh, right? Twenty sixth. Twenty sixth. You want to release it that weekend, this episode, or the weekend before? Do you want us to? Yes. Do you know how they're going to be able to find the book? Yeah, it's going to be on Amazon. Okay, Amazon. We'll be, so gotcha. they'll have to search. Yes. Have to search. What will they search? Your name, the book title. It could uh, be my name or the book title, the Who. Okay. The Who. That might bring up the a who. band. They might. The who finding the who before the what. <laughs> there it is. More, there more specific. Is. Yeah. Otherwise, they'll get that one song. Um, what's I'm thinking of? The one that's on CSI? I Isn't have no idea. Who? I don't know. That's a rabbit trail. <laughs> that really is. That's, that's one of those that is just like, <laughs> why in the world are we even talking about that or going in that direction? Yeah. No, um, you know, we need more apostolic authors. We do. You know, I'm just going to go ahead and there Hold and say on. that. We need more apostolic authors that have something to say that's Uh-oh. of value. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because there is – me and Brian talk about this all the time. There is so many apostolic podcasts out there, and there's not much to listen to. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say it. Um, hey, we are not always the guy that would be, be the one to listen to. Exactly. Either. You're but. right. You're right. But what I'm saying is – there's times where I don't want to grow my church. I want to grow myself. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. you know, that's my that's mine and Brian's intention of this podcast. Mm-hmm. And your intention of your book is to, to get people to understand who you are is not who you have to be. Right. Absolutely. You know, that's, that's something that is encouraging. And who you are is not who you understand yourself to be. Yeah. I don't understand myself <laughs> half the time. And it changes, you know, like as mm-hmm. life change, as season changes, because right now, like I said, I went through that process of discovering who I am. But now that I'm about to get married, now my whole purpose and identity is going to change too, because it's going to include somebody else. So I'm going to have to go back through this process. And, okay, God, who, I, who am I in you as a wife and as the wife of a person in this type of ministry. So it's going to change. And then one day, whenever we become parents, that's going to change again. So it's a constant, mm-hmm. you know, if we change ministry roles, it's going to change again. So it's a constant process of finding who you are. And then once again, going back to not being defined by what you do, because what you do is going to change. It's inevitable. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's so difficult is whenever you find that out, 
is being available to adapt to it. Yes, absolutely. Because there's so much. You had to adapt to change. Mm-hmm. And y'all were just kind of making fun of my age a while ago because I told y'all <laughs> off air that I hate being in my 30s. I, oh, but, by the way, I'm the youngest in the room. You know, congratulations. Yes. But he's got the oldest man hair, don't he? Yes, this oh, is wow. true. <laughs> this is very true. But shady. anyway, what I was getting <laughs> ready to it. say is, like, I hate change. Like, mm-hmm. I really, really do. Like, I get set in my ways, and uh, I don't – I like – He's what's, got the oldest attitude. The, what's comfortable, what's familiar. I love what's familiar. I mean, like, I I go to the same places. He paused the podcast to change the air. I did, yes. But the <laughs> thing is, like, it's, I love predictable experiences. And when, some, when a, a stick gets thrown in the spokes, I hate it. But then I realize it's for my good. And, you know, the best way to explain it is... Improvise, adapt, overcome. There it is. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm an old wooden ship that has to take forever to turn. I'm not a speedboat that turns. And, you know, there's so many people that if God's calling you to do something, don't be afraid to do it. Just because it's uncomfortable, don't be afraid. Right, yeah. right. And, you know, kind of going back to something that you said a minute ago, it reminded me of the whole, the whole premise of, like, what we've learned in 2020 is things can change and things can get really crazy. And it's like, as the church, we were completely thrown all the way Mm -hmm. off because we're so used to our stuff and we loved our services and we loved the way we did it. And we loved the predictability. And we say, Oh God interrupted the service today because we love the predictability of, Oh, he interrupted it because we knew it was going to go this way anyway. But But God forbid somebody get called out. (laughs) (laughs) But 2020 showed us like, even if our whole schedule gets, gets changed like god can still move and one of the coolest things this year whenever they were live streaming general conference and there was that uh, word from the lord i'm not sure if it was a tongues interpretation or just a direct word from the lord but it was amazing because i'm like look at like look at god he can speak yeah. even through the live stream so, he's not restricted are you talking about brother bernard's yeah it was that is that the one y'all are talking about I think it was Wednesday night. Gotcha. So Brother Bernard gave a, an interpretation from a tongues that he got three years ago, Ooh. two or three years ago. And he said he felt like God told him not to give it yet because the trial that it was for hadn't come to pass. And here we are wow. in 2020. And he said, it's for this conference. And so he waited three years for the 75th anniversary, not knowing that we wouldn't be all together in, in, in person because of mm. a pandemic. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, tell me God's not real. <laughs> mm. You know, that's a whole a whole another conversation. Yeah, but like if you guys can get somebody to talk about that, like knowing who you are in your giftings, yeah. and then that way you can use the giftings the way they should be, and not to promote yourself. Yeah, we talked so about that pod- a lot today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. So that's always a fun conversation talking about the gifts. Yeah, I I was actually mm-hmm. going to do a debate on spiritual gifts one time. By the, the way, the gifts of the spirit sometimes scare me mm-hmm. because of how real they are. Yeah, and um, you know, prophecy is such a a real thing that um, it kind of scares me listening to somebody who's giving one because the Bible is very clear on false prophecy. So I've always been the kind of guy that when a prophet comes to your church, I kind of step back <laughs> because. I want to be very careful who I allow to speak in my life because right. if it's true or if it's false, stuff like that. So that is that's that's a deep topic, I mm-hmm. guess, for another time. But yes, I have some really cool prophecies that I've heard that like 
came to pass instantly or they like read you know read your mail and told you everything one time I asked the Lord a question I was like God I asked him a specific question that night I went to a service and the preacher came up he said you asked the Lord this question and here's your answer and I was like oh Jesus Brian what's the craziest prophecy that's ever been given to you do you have one I don't remember mine was uh, I mean there was uh no, you go ahead because I, I mean I, I you were I can with think me on one, mine. But... You were with me on mine. So yeah. before we started our podcast, we went to this uh, church where they had this prophet that me and Brian. I don't know if Brian may have wanted to. I did not want to go, and my wife made me go. I did not want to go. Well, this prophet comes up to me or comes to my wife first, and like like you said, reads her mail and says, "This is what's going on in your body. This is where it's happening, and it's gonna stop tonight." And since then, it's not happened. Wow. Well, then he looks at me and says, you have uh, a, a calling in your life where uh, thousands of people will hear your voice. I didn't really think nothing about that. We started our podcast, and it grew to a success rate that we never saw coming. We did this for fun. We thought, you know, we'll do mm-hmm. this for a couple of weeks, and uh, we won't really invest in it. We won't do no time. Here we are a year and a half later and still doing it, I guess. But, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that was probably one of the craziest things that's ever been because I never thought I'd have a voice that people would hear, you know. Wow. But. If you want to get deep about that subject, kind of pertaining to what we've been talking about, about how you got to know who you are even in your gifting, your gifting can't become your whole identity because even that individual today is not in church in any, yeah, any way. That, that guy yeah. who spoke that to me and, wow. is the farthest thing from mm-hmm. God. And, and he was identified by the gifting that he had, but that wasn't even who he was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a gifting that he had, and so even your gift cannot just be who you are. You've got to be more than just the apostle or more than just the prophet. You have to still be the child of God. Absolutely. Right? Because if you miss that first principle, you can get messed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've seen it happen too many times amongst our people and that we have this idea that if a person is using the gifts of the Spirit, that means they are more spiritual or they're closer to God. And that does not mean anything yeah. because... Mm-hmm. And you hold them on a pedestal. Yeah, because the Scriptures teach us that the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. And it's one of the mysteries of God where in, in I believe it's in Corinthians, it talks about how there must be heresies among you. The fact that God will intentionally gift a fallen individual... And yet we have this mindset, if you're flowing in the gifts, you are a superior Christian than others. No, my friend, the gifting is not all of who you are, but there has to be an identity of you and God together, a relationship, because you can have a gift and being used as the heresy that must be among the church to prove within the church who is truly seeking God and who's seeking after giftings and pulpits. Mm -hmm. Mm That's pretty deep, bro. <laughs> no, that's really good. And I think I've had a lot of conversations about it recently, um, or yesterday, and it was a it was a wild conversation. We could get into more things, but anyway, I digress. What were you saying? Uh, so I think it goes back to I've heard it used in this uh, example before. You have to be like Moses' staff. Like it was thrown down and it was miraculous and it did something that was neat at the time, but then he picked it up and it was just a staff again. Like we have to be okay to like be used of God in the spirit, but then pick up and just walk and be a Christian and be a child of God again and be okay with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But that's the, that just goes back to, I don't want to feel, get comfortable in God's presence. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there was been, there's been a time in my life 
where, like I said, I, I've never went through a season in my life where I wasn't involved or went to church. And there's been a season in my life, though, where at least six to eight months I did not feel God at all when I went to church. And it's because I let myself become, um, fall victim to not just comfortability, but this is what's expected of me, this is what I'm going to do, and nothing more. And, you know, it hurts in the mm-hmm. long run because that crust, when it starts to crack, begins to hurt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to go through some times in my life where I had to have those hard conversations with some people. You know, it's like, what do I do? How do I break out of this? I don't even feel like God, not that he's not even there, but he don't even love me, you know, mm-hmm. or else I wouldn't be going through this. You know, and it's and like we've said it before, Brian, it's just I was having a self-pity party and I was invited to my own party, you know. Yeah. And it, it's something that, um, you know just identity crisis i mean i feel Mm -hmm. like i feel like that's where our our whole generation struggles with right now absolutely and you know i've been praying the last few years like specifically for 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 our generation i feel like we hunger and i i know my group of friends that we've talked about it a lot we hunger for the gifts of the spirit but we're all seeking mentors and seeking resources and seeking help because like you said it is scary and so some churches don't allow the gifts of the Spirit to operate as Mm -hmm. freely in the church. But I feel like our generation really does hunger to see those things. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've been in this my whole life, and I'm still hearing stories of my grandparents. And, you know, my kids and my grandkids, they're not going to hear those stories because I didn't see it. So my grandkids are not going to hear all these crazy, amazing stories because I didn't see it. And it's something that we're losing. And if we don't get a hold of it, it is going to be lost. It's a thing of the past. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and the Bible says that there's going to be a greater outpouring in the last days, and this is it. So, you know, if we're seeking it, I'm really praying that there are some uh, elders, some mentors that will rise up and take us in in this generation and young men and young women who feel the call to go deeper into the spirit and feel called to work in the spiritual gifts. Because like Billy Cole had said this in a lot of his training back in the 80s and 90s, he said, you have to give people the room to err. So the first time you give a tongues interpretation, it may not be perfect. Or the per- first time you give a prophecy, it may not be perfect. And so we're nervous to operate in the gifts because one, there's not the room for air. Mm-hmm. And then two, there's not mentors and people to train us because it's it's kind of gone by the wayside mm-hmm. so that's what i'm praying i'm like god you promised like you told us that there was going to be a greater outpouring now we need you to come through and give us those mentors give us those ministers that are going to to take us by the hand and say this is the way this is how these things happen and once again going back to that's why i was praying god where can i see miracle signs and wonders why why am i not seeing them and then he directed me of, of out in the community. And I think when the Lord does allow this to happen and us to learn the gifts of the Spirit, it's not just going to be in the church. It's going to be something that we take with us. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Got to like like he said that you have to you have to give people an opportunity to try. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, and, and that is an unfortunate thing. As many times we don't give people that opportunity, it's incredibly scriptural the idea that people would give a tongues and it not be perfect. Because the very term in which Paul uses to describe tongues, knowledge, and prophecy in 1 Corinthians uh, 13 is he uses this Greek phrase, ekmeros, and ekmeros translates in our King James Version as in part, how we prophesy in part, we know in part, and we, we speak in part. That's how the English translation, like in the King James, but the basic Greek meaning of ekmeros is imperfect. We know imperfectly we speak imperfectly, and we prophesy imperfectly. 
but when that which is perfect is come. Mm-hmm. And so Paul is looking for a day of which our impartial knowledge, our impartial understanding is fulfilled into that which is perfect. And so in this life, people will make mistakes, even if they're incredibly used of God. Even if they've been prophesying for years, definitionally, those things are done imperfectly. There are times where they make mistakes, and it's easy for us to criticize. It's easy for us to want to look down on people. But how do we grow as a people, and how do we ever get better if we never tolerate a mistake? Exactly. (laughs) Discounting people because of their mistake has got to be the stupidest thing to do. I mean, if I if I was discontinued as a Christian after making my first mistake after being baptized, I don't think I would have made it past seven. I think I got mm-hmm. baptized at seven. That's the thing. You know, it's so elementary to speak about. Uh, what you, you gonna say something? Yeah. Before I forget, you're you're talking about the the. Imp- I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to speak very often. I'll be very brief with this. I've been teaching uh, these Bible studies on Tuesdays, and the person that I'm teaching with, I'm having to work through. Uh, a few things with them, and one of the things that this individual keeps bringing up about, um, uh, you know, Christians who aren't living up to uh, the standard of perfection, and they have they they judge people, all these other things. And he said that he went into a church one time with earrings, and he said everybody looked at me like I was an abomination, and I said, they told you that, and he said no. They didn't tell me that. They looked at me. I was like, so nobody came up and said, you were an abomination? He said, no. I said, huh. So you judged that whole church's reaction to you walking in and by judging them as judgmental. And so even you don't measure <laughs> up to the standard of perfection of judgment. And I said, so why is it that, because his question before that was, why aren't Christians better if they're supposed mm-hmm. to be Christians? Because mm-hmm. this is the experience I had. And the answer is, they're Christians, but they're still people. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's what I was getting ready to say is, our pastor makes this statement a lot that says, I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Well, it's the best place for a hypocrite, is it not? <laughs> I'd rather you right. be a hypocrite in God's presence than a hypocrite outside. The person who sits across the pew from you has just as much right to be a hypocrite as you do. Exactly. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Our pastor it's getting preached salty in here. A, a really good message a few weeks ago, and he was talking about at the Last Supper when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, all of the disciples took turns and said, Lord, is it I? So every mm. one of them knew that there was potential in mm. their heart to be that person. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Jeez, that's a good point. Yeah, good I mean, I, I don't want, if you're out there and you're listening right now, and you're one of those people that's failed and you're embarrassed to come back, it's time to get over that. Mm-hmm. It's way too late in the game right now to, to to miss out because you're, you know, it's very easy to get hurt and then you're embarrassed because what you hurt you mm-hmm. doesn't amount to anything. This is something very interesting. When you say it again, you said to the person out there who what? Maybe listening. That, that feels like what? I don't know what you're talking about. You said something about how they um, they, may they feel be too embarrassed to come, to come back. back. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people in the church that feel too embarrassed to stay, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, so even to a person who's out there is like, I wish I could get back in church. There's people in the church yeah. that feel like quitting too. Just as much as you feel like there's a hindrance of you coming back, there's people in that they. And, and the thing mm. is, is that there's not a person in the church that has a right to be there. 
Mm-hmm. And there's people that you don't know that's depending on you and your worship and your praise and your prayers. Yeah. We're all here by the grace of God. And by the way, to one of the questions we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, one of the reasons why I think we're so caught up many times in uh, our self-identity kind of a thing, with especially within our church organization, there's really no better way to say this in the most blunt way possible, is that we think the word grace is a Baptist term. Yeah. And so we don't ever really use it. And so we're constantly talking about our service and what we must do and what we have to do. And we discount the grace of God that brings us back. And so who are we? What's our identity? Nothing except for the grace of God. And Brother Lumpkin said this on this podcast. He said, the only difference in me and a sinner is how long it takes me to repent. repent. Yeah, That's the most powerful sentence I've ever heard. mm -hmm. Yeah. Incredible. It's absolutely yeah. the truth. Yeah. It's absolutely the truth. That was one of my favorite episodes. Brian they're didn't fun, really. Man. He was nervous. They're phenomenal. He's, inti- he's, <laughs> he's intimidating. He really is intimidating. But he's, like, he's when we the kindest, in, kindest person in the world. When we walked in, we're like, hey, brother, I'm we're here to set up. He's like, all right, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And like, we're like, where do we go? Where His life we? was incredible, though. Yeah. She's, very, oh, she's yeah. a huge supporter of us. We love her. Aww. We know you're listening. Thank you. We love you, Sister <laughs> Lumpkin. No, we love him, too. He just yes. made me scared. Whenever, uh, <laughs> whenever Jared called him to ask if he could propose to me, I was like, ooh, I don't envy what you. What was that like? Bro, it was very intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine. Oh, man. He said it was intimidating if you couldn't hear. So... We've been at this for. You want to sit over here for a little now. bit? You got anything on your heart, bro? You want to say anything? Other than Brother Lumpkin's intimidating? <laughs> you don't want that to be the only thing you say. Come on. Come on. Come on. Here, you have well, a seat. Have can, a seat. We can switch out. I'll and share you guys with Tony can... if, if I feel like saying anything. That'll work. So, when are y'all getting married, by the way? December 12th. December the 12th. Yes, you told that on the podcast a while ago. Thanks for being a listener. Thanks for being a listener. That's pretty funny. <laughs> but anyway, it's coming up so, so fast. bro, we got about 15, 20 more minutes. Um, let's talk about you for a little bit. Um, we know what attracted you to your soon-to-be wife. Yes. Because you, she was in ministry, and, that, and you know, you really enjoyed um, the thought of being in ministry together. But... Tell us about your ministry. What do you have going on with you? Man, well, uh, right now I'm serving at my home church and uh, serving on youth staff there, as well as we are um, rebuilding the guest ministries and connect point there. Um, So we're in the process of rebuilding all of that right now. Uh, Plus, I also work with the hyphen team as the uh, director of promotions. And so... uh, and you're a drummer. Do you think you're a better drummer than me? Bro, I'm I'm gonna tell you this. <laughs> I'm probably not. <laughs> I like I mean, we can play drums later if you a want. Drum I mean, off. Bro, we got I we got to do it. Can we set we the podcast mics up for that? No, yeah. we cannot. <laughs> but anyway, uh so you got a lot of things going on. Uh what do you hope to do um as a couple in ministry? What is your ultimate goal? Well, um, we we want to affect our generation. Um, both of us have that burden. Um, I think some of it, too, is 
going a little bit outside the norm. You know, I told him whenever we first started dating, I said, I'm not going to be like, if you think I'm just going to be the pretty face on the flyer, that's not me. Like, I'm not here just to be the cute little evangelistic couple. Like we have work to do and we have people to reach. She's a prayer warrior. So like, what does, this that, do is, for, what does that do for your ministry? Man. Like, I mean, that's, it, that sounds like it's a softball question. Like, obviously, you're going to say it's, it's a plus for my – but no, man, get, go on a deep level. What what does having a spouse in ministry do whenever it's somebody who's not willing to just be the face that's on a flyer but actually is promoting their husband not through social media, not through agendas, but through prayer? I Honestly, and I don't want to sound super weird by this, but – I believe there's devils that I'm not going to have to deal with mm. because I have somebody else on my team that's mm-hmm. fighting with me. So, like, <laughs> she's, she's a beast. There it is. <laughs> but, you know, he's really good. One of the problems, whenever I was, uh, you know, on the search, dating around, some men w- loved what I did for their ministry, but they couldn't turn around and support support me. And I'm like, I have a problem with that because, you know, the Bible talks about one puts – 10,000 to fly, you know, so I'm like, I, there's two of, I want us to be two. I want us to be able to double our ministry and double our reach. And whenever him and I talked about ministry, he's willing to support me in the same way as I support him. So the times that I'm going out to preach on a Sunday, he's up early praying for me that Sunday. He's fasting for me well, that you Sunday. Preach? Sometimes. <laughs> Brian, if I knew we had a lady preacher, she would have been on. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about conviction as against lady preacher. <laughs> this is a joke. This is a joke. <laughs> we just lost like how many listeners right now? Just what did he say? <laughs> they dropped so no, so, so he he can support support me in that way. So I with just as much passion as if it were him, and so that also inspires me. And it, it feels it feels a lot like a team. I've never ever had any other kind of relationship or friendship in my life where I felt so intertwined with somebody that you literally lift the burden. So you know, I used to think the scripture of being unequally yoked together. I thought that meant just the same belief system. But when we started dating, my spiritual life and my load literally got easier because he was pulling the weight in a way no one had had ever done for me before. And so it completely changed that definition for me. So, for instance, like fasting, um, I don't know how many people actually fast nowadays, but like that's something that that we have really strived to get better at. And so... um, it was a once a week type deal. Like, hey, we're gonna fast on this day. All right, once a month, we're gonna do a three day fast. You ready? All right, let's let's do this. And you know what's crazy? This generation they fast social media instead of food, and I, I seriously think it's harder for them to social uh, fast social yeah. media than it was for the old timers to fast yeah. food. It's rough. It's rough. <laughs> Is so, that what y'all do? So we do both, so food and social media, like all of that kind of stuff. And then um, we, we've we done one uh, seven-day fast oh. as well. And like Sometimes fasting brings you close to the Lord. Sometimes fasting brings you close to backsliding. <laughs> and that was one of them. I was like, oh, Jesus, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. I like you and stuff, but this is hard. Yeah. 
It's making me hungry just thinking about a seven-day fast. I'm telling you right now, there is nothing about my body size that says seven-day fast. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm too terrible. heavy for that. It it's was terrible. The end of that, that was during quarantine. So the last day of the fast, my dad had called me like on that Friday and asked me to preach that Sunday morning. And I had already, I knew, I already knew he was going to call. Like in prayer that day, the Lord had given me a message and I wrote it down and I was you know, crying and praying over it. And I was like, man, I'm just going to, because someone's Lord gives you messages and you put them away for years and he makes you live them before you're actually able to preach them. Well, this one, so I was like, you know, folding it up to put my Bible for another time. And my dad called and said, I want you to preach on Sunday. And it was the last day of the fast. And I also woke up that morning really, really sick. So that was one of the times like he really helped pray and spiritually pull me through that morning. But when we were dating, one of the things I, I knew that he was the one was we were talking about spiritual stuff, and he knew what a rhema was. Because I was like, and he says, talking about the rhema word of God. And I was like, oh, I've never dated anybody that knew, that used that kind of terminology and knew what that meant. So that was, I was like, man, he's the one. He knows He knows what these things are. <laughs> uh, sounds like Brian up here. Brian's the stats guy over here. He knows all that stuff. <laughs> But all right, so before we wrap, what are you about to say? I know it's something smart, Ellie. It was it was just gonna be some nerdy stuff about the rainbow, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but before we wrap up, plug your book one more time. When it's gonna be released, how they can get a hold of it, how they can get a hold of you. Get, go ahead and just plug away right quick. Absolutely. Okay, my book's gonna be available on October twenty sixth on Amazon, and it's called The Who: Finding the Who Before the What. And you can also, I'll be posting all kinds of things about it. So you can definitely get in touch with me on Facebook or Instagram. If you're not fasting that way. If I'm not fasting that way. There it is. So, (laughs) So, yeah. uh, Follow them on social media. How do you you use social media? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Awesome. So, So look these guys up. They're pretty dynamic. So check them out. Check out her book. Um, Y'all got anything else? This has been a fun episode. We've laughed. (laughs) We've had a good time. But anyway, thank you guys so much for spending some time with us. I'm glad we caught you while you were back in Northeast Arkansas. I know that our listeners are going to be super excited about this episode. We've actually had people request you to be on the show. Oh, they're so so sweet. Shout out Carla Ray. Give her a shout out. I love Carla Ray. She's my girl. Hey, hey, it's Carla Ray. Hey, hey, it's Carla Ray. There you go. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in tonight. This has been a crucial conversation. This is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast.